0: Matthew chapter 6 that will be our text this morning verse 9 we're in the middle of a series becoming a people of prayer before we start that series let me say thank you to all those who prayed for me during this past week when I went away for a couple days Uh, for those who didn't pray for me may you be accursed no I'm just kidding I would never pray that Although the continuing rash saga does go on, um, if you know about that, I prayed that God would bring rashes to those who don't bring your Bibles to church, and I talked to a woman today who had gotten a rash and made sure I knew she had her Bible today. So anyways, the Lord is alive, and we're thankful for that, but thank you for praying for me this last week. I am so looking forward to sharing with you what I feel like God had put on my heart um, while I was away, and we'll be doing that at the end of this month. I believe it's the 29th, which happens to coincide and dovetail with where we'll be at in this series in the Lord's Prayer. We're in a series. We're looking at how can we become a people of prayer. Prayer, friends, is vital to our spiritual health, and it's vital to our church's health. Yet, most of us, how do I know this? Remember, a few weeks ago, I asked you to raise your hands. If prayer was a weakness for you and most of the hands in the auditorium went up So I know the prayer is a struggle for us But prayer is vital for our health and it's vital for the church's health and it's a weakness for most of us Murray McShane wrote this years ago He said what a man is alone on his knees before God that he is and no more. I think that's profound so we're embarking on this journey We're going to do this together. We're going to try to learn how to become a people of prayer. And Jesus says, verse 9 of chapter 6, he says, pray then like this. Now, you ready? I'm going to tell you something that I'm sure is going to be life-changing. Literally. When he says, pray then like this, literally in the Greek, it means thus, therefore. Now, isn't that impacting? Thus, therefore. Well, it usually means along these lines or in the following manner. So Jesus really said, pray then along these lines or the following manner. Now, why do I point that out? Because you need to know that he didn't say, pray these words like a mantra, this formula and your prayer will be heard. He didn't say, this is the only way I want you to pray for God to hear you. In fact, he's moving us away from meaningless repetition. He's not moving us toward it. Martin Luther said that the Lord's Prayer was, quote, the greatest martyr. You know why he said that? He said that because everyone, he says, tortures and abuses it. In his day, the Lord's Prayer, it was read or it was sung in every single church service that you would attend, and it had become a meaningless habit even centuries before that, there was a a leaflet, not a leaflet, it was a scroll that was given in the second century by the churches called the Dudike. The Dudike were the teachings, the collected teachings for the Christian community, and they instructed Christians to pray this prayer three times a day. When I grew up, I don't know about you, but I grew up Almost every Sunday evening, we'd stand up and as a body, we would recite the Lord's Prayer. Now, friends, nothing is wrong with that. But it does not want, Jesus did not want this to become a meaningless habit. It's not a formula in which to pray mindlessly. You know what I did during those Sunday evenings uh, where we said the Lord's Prayer? I, every Sunday, would keep track of how many words I could get right because I never could get it right between the KJV and the NASB version of the Lord's Prayer. So it was almost, okay, can I get them all right this Sunday? It became a meaningless habit for me. But all the principles, now you need to know this. Lodge this in your mind. Anchor it. All the principles in God-glorifying, kingdom-shaping prayer. Friends, listen are contained in these few verses of teachings. Now, what do I mean by God glorifying? I say that because every single part of this prayer has as its highest goal the glory of God. Friends, is that the way you live? Interact with me. Because that's the purpose of the Lord's teaching on prayer. Every single part of it has its highest goal, the glory of God. Any prayer that comes out of our mouths that does not share that supreme goal of bringing God glory is not prayed after the manner of this prayer. Now listen, I want to teach you one of the things that I learned that set the pace for this series. Why did I do this series? Why did I approach this series in the way that we're doing? Because I read what one old saint once said. He said, true prayer brings the mind to the immediate contemplation of God's character, and I love this, and holds it there until the believer's soul is properly impressed. Now listen, we do this all the time. Let me give you an example. Have you ever wanted something? You wanted to buy something, and if you're like me, you do a lot of research. So you get on to... Amazon.com. You get onto uh, my Simon. You get onto Consumer Reports, and you begin researching. You begin reading reviews. You get, begin looking on eBay for how much they're they're selling for. And all the while, your desire for that thing that you want grows. How many of you know what I'm saying? Because when we put our minds on something long enough, our souls follow. Friends, that's what we're learning. We're going to learn that prayer holds our squirming, prone to wander souls to the beauty, love, wonder, and glory of God our Father. And like William Barclay, we're going to see that not only is this a prayer that brings the whole of life to the presence of God, it brings the whole of God to our lives. That's how incredible this sermon on prayer really is. Friends, the aim of this sermon series is actually to help us love to pray. And that our relationships with God would deepen to new depths of intimacy and knowledge. But remember this, you ready? As we begin to study this prayer in depth, Christ is going to do here what he has done the entire Sermon on the Mount. The entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, takes the law of Moses And he shows that when you spiritually understand the law, it's full, brimming over with the grace of God. And that no person can understand that point unless the grace of God has invaded their soul. Friend, listen, unless you've been regenerated. By that I mean unless you've been born again. By placing your trust for your soul in the hands of God, believing that Christ's death took away your sins and his resurrection has given you life, unless you've done that, you will not, you cannot fully appreciate the significance of this prayer. Friend, it's not because you're not intelligent enough. Believe me, plenty of unbelievers know more scripture than I know. It's because a person cannot see God's abundant, beautiful grace if he hasn't received it personally in his own life. So that being said, let's let this series lead you, if you're outside of Christ, to the giver of grace and pardon. that Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever, ever ever paused and reflected on how jesus begins this prayer he could have said this he could have said oh father in heaven he could have said my father in heaven he could have just simply said father in heaven but the very first word is our That's the first principle we need to learn if we're going to unlock the power and the beauty of this prayer. You know, in Thornton Wilder's play, Our Town, the character Jane, she receives a letter. And on that letter, the envelope, it's addressed to her farm and then her town her county, her state, and it continues. The United States of America, continent of North America, Western Hemisphere, the earth, the solar system, the universe, the mind of God. This is the play, our town. Friends, I'm convinced that the reason so many believers struggle with prayer is that it will always seem joyless. It'll always feel like unrewarding work when our prayer life centers primarily on ourselves. You see, that's the Lord's Prayer. It concentrically moves out. Our Father. There's a poem that says you cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot Say the Lord's Prayer and even once say my, nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. For when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brothers, for others are included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end of it, and never once says me. If you ever stopped and noticed that little three-letter pronoun at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer? Well, that was all the introduction. Let me give you four ways that truth explodes out of the word our. Here we go. You got your outline in front of you. Number one, if God is our father, if he's our father, then that makes us brothers and sisters. Friends, the Lord's prayer is a family prayer. How simple is that? I don't mean it's a prayer that's meant for biological, natural families only. I mean it's a prayer that immediately, in the very first word, makes us know that we belong in a family together whose father is God. This single little word drives us through and beyond our individualism toward community, toward the knowledge that we have a family. The one who believes that he's the only object of God's care. Friends, that person can become, quite honestly, demanding. You know, I might be praying for clear skies because our family scheduled a picnic for next Saturday. But my brother, the farmer, might be praying for rain because his livelihood, his crops, are wilting. You see, the word are moves me to a perspective that is beyond simply the word our moves me to rejoice and praise God when my sister prospers it moves me to rejoice but to fall on my knees when my brother not rejoice but to fall to my knees when my brother suffers you see the phrase our father immediately grabs hold of the entire summary of the law of God It's the way of the kingdom. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself, our Father. See, that word our ties us together through a blood that is stronger than biological. It's the blood of Christ. The very first word of this prayer, like a leash, yanks us and falls, calls us up short and it forces us to examine how well do we love one another in the family of God. Listen, Denise and I literally grieve. Our hearts get sick when our children do not love one another. Do you judge other believers? Friends, be honest. God knows. Do you slander? Do you gossip about other people? You know, there's a saying that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The same is true. And the prayer that God loves, we're equal. Not one of us is greater and of greater worth than any other. Friends, it's impossible, please underscore that. It's impossible to pray this prayer in faith and holiness and to come to God without love for and respect for and honor for one another. Would you let me carry this a little bit further? Point number two, if God is our father, then that makes us united in biblical fellowship. See, no person can pray our father unless they are united in Christ. In one sense, God is the father of all people, yet he is the family father of those who have trusted in christ we see this in first corinthians 8 6 yet for us there is one god the father from whom are all things he is the father of all living he brings and gives life to all living things but while he is the god and father of all in a sense that he's given life to them he's only an intimate relational father to those who have put their trust in his son Jesus this is what it says in 1 John 5 everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him you see the intimate relationship with God the father has come through trusting in the sacrifice of God the son for our sons and for our sins and it brings us into fellowship with both God and other believers friends you want to know the definition For biblical fellowship, it's not this. It's not when we merely love one another in church. It's not biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship is made possible because we are unified in Christ Because we put our trust in Him, so there is no more barrier between us and God, which makes the way for us to have no barrier between us and one another. Biblical fellowship brings the triune God in relationship with one another. It's what John is saying that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. That's the horizontal. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the vertical. Biblical fellowship brings the horizontal in connection with the vertical. It weaves it together. So the words, our Father, immediately make us realize that the vertical, Father, has now come in communion with the horizontal. It pulls us up short. What are the ramifications of this truth? Well, think about this. Biting and devouring one another, strife and conflict hurts each other and it grieves God. Friends, it's not without reason that Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 29 and 30 to speak in a way that builds one another up, that gives grace to one another according to the need of the moment. And then in the very next verse, tells us not to grieve God. It's because when we don't do that, when we have strife, when we're filled with conflict, when churches are split with arguing, it grieves God. It's it's no accident that Peter writes that the relationship husbands that you have with your wives, if it is one where you do not have grace for them, it will hinder your prayers. You see, the horizontal affects the vertical, and the vertical affects the horizontal. That's biblical fellowship. Jesus speaks to this. Chapter five of this great sermon. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know what he's saying? It's simple. It's saying this. If you go to worship God vertically, but you realize there's a hindrance horizontally with a brother or a sister, God says, I don't want your worship. God says, leave your gift at the altar, go and make right, and then come back and worship me because I want fellowship. See, our worship, friends, is polluted when our fellowship with each other is broken. Praying our Father puts us into the immediate right perspective of biblical fellowship between each other and God. But let me just go a little bit further and a little bit deeper about this word are number three if God is our father then that makes us a redemptive community friends I don't think I can use that phrase enough because it literally underscores both the old and the new testament you see American individualism is absolutely alien to the entire bible We are our brother's keeper. It's only when sin comes into our lives that we hold walls around us and insist that it's no right of yours to look into my heart. That's what Cain did. The moment that we utter our Father, we realize that we are before His throne together with all Christians. We're not alone. My weak, feeble prayers are joined together with millions of prayers of God's people. And Revelation says they rise like incense to his nostrils. You see, there's a great cloud of witnesses that surround us. And prayer connects one another in the presence of God. The individual isn't lost in the family of God. Don't ever worry. God never looks at all the believers and sees some blurry mass. He sees every distinct personal believer. He loves every one of you personally. He's numbered the hairs of your head, but there's times when we forget that we're a community and the Lord's prayer's purpose is to drive us back into community and away from I and me and my. Our reminds us that we are one among many. And my concern is with your daily bread. My concern is with the sins that you struggle with. My concern is with the temptations you're facing. You see that word, that little personal pronoun, our, won't allow us to praise God for his blessings without pleading for the one whose husband's leaving or pleading for the parents whose child is suffering or pleading for the man who's besieged with a temptation to drink. You can't forget that in redemptive community. Brace yourselves. I got a lot of worried looks in the first two services, but that word "our" won't let us live in large homes. It won't let us possess material things. It won't let us stock our cupboards full of food without moving toward the poor and needy and destitute. You see, understanding the significance of that word our moves us to rejoice, the Bible says, with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. It says in 1 Corinthians, if one member suffers, all suffer together, if one member is honored, all rejoice together my life is not closed off from your eyes and your life's not closed off from my eyes There's a solidarity there's a unity there is a community in God's plan which is why one man wrote the waves are many the sea is one the bows are many the vine is one the stones are many the temple is one the children are many the family is one and as one family we say our father you see our father friends it's the greatest statement of redemptive community i think in all of scripture but there's one more point about this little pronoun called our if god is our father then that makes us unified in our purpose. I think this is the greatest and the most important of these four points. You see, God wants, did you know this? God wants a growing family. And his desire is to dwell in its midst. It's been all of God's desire from Genesis to Revelation. It's to bring people into faith through Christ so that he could dwell in their midst through the Spirit of God. That's the church. It's the purpose, friends, of every single Christian. It's the same purpose for every single church. Our purpose is to live out the kingdom of God. Quite plainly, it's to live and to speak and to love in such a way as to make Jesus Christ attractive to those who are lost and perishing. How do I know that? Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal possession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Let me just take a couple minutes To elaborate on this, you see the picture that the apostle Paul is giving in this passage is of a victory parade. You see, in ancient times, when an army would go out, a king would send his army out. And as they would have victory, they would come back to the city with the victors and the vanquished behind them trailing along in chains, and they would wind their way through the city to where the emperor's throne was. And all the while, the priests would be waving back incense carriers, and they'd be throwing garlands of flowers in the streets. You see, the victors and the conquered foes are following behind our captain. Our captain is Jesus Christ. And the priest, friends, that's us. If you're a believer, we're the priesthood of all believers. And Paul says we're carrying these incense-filled censers in the way that we live and throwing garlands in the way that we love. And Paul's picture is of the sweet aroma of the gospel, the story of God's love for fallen humanity and the sacrifice of his son to save them. And as this parade winds its way near the emperor, The fragrant aroma reaches him. And both to those who are being saved as well as to those who are perishing because they will not believe the aroma has reached their nostrils. And he uses us, God does, to give off this sweet aroma to influence people with the saving knowledge of Christ. That's our purpose in life. You can't find a better purpose in life because it's in springing people to the saving knowledge of Christ that God is honored and glorified because God wants a big family to dwell in the midst. Immediately, Jesus, with the very first word of this prayer, this little pronoun, R, sweeps all of us. Into this singular purpose that God our Father wants to sire many children through the seeds of the gospel. What are the seeds of the gospel? Peter tells us, since you've been born again, not a perishable seed, but of been perishable through the living and abiding word of God. We're the gospel bearers. We're the ones who must be sharing the knowledge of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to those who are perishing. This prayer our Father frames our mission and it gives us a purpose for our lives. Friends, let me ask you. Have you sowed these seeds in your neighborhood? Have you scattered the seeds of sweet aroma of God's love to all in your jobs? Have you peppered the hallways of your school through the way that you live your life of God glorifying integrity with the seeds of the gospel. There's a lot of teaching in this little word. As we begin to pray, we need to examine our hearts and look at our relationships. Friends, we need to look at at our lives to see if we're coming to God as an individual or if we're with little to no care for others or if we're coming to him as one of many in full view of our family, living out God's grace and mercy to those around us, mired and entrenched in fellowship and immersed in redemptive community. That's the way you pray. In the Lord's Prayer, there is no I or me, only us and we. So let's learn to pray to our Father. In heaven, Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for your word. Lord, it is absolutely deep. I don't know how anybody could sound the depths of your word, Lord. One word, and I'm sure there's so much more that I didn't see in that. Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to love one another. Teach us how to treat each other as the way you would have us to, Lord. How to understand the theology, the importance, the power of biblical fellowship, the beauty of redemptive community. Help us to learn to live our singular purpose together, to sow the seeds of the gospel and be fragrant aromas to the unsaved as well as to the saved. Lord, I pray for help with this. Help us to become a community, a people of prayer, Lord, that you can dwell in our midst that has true power for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.